This episode is brought to you by Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste, a toothpaste like no other. There is nothing more important than fresh breath and dental wellness. We've even done episodes on it. And we are so happy to have Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste as a sponsor of the Courageous Wellness Podcast. Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste is a toothpaste created by a real dentist using nourishing and natural ingredients proven to remineralize tooth enamel to prevent decay. The founder, Dr. Jen, isn't just someone who got an idea and made a toothpaste. She's a highly trained and experienced dental professional. As a mom of three kids and a dentist, she knows how important it is to provide safe, natural, and healthy products for our long-term health and development. This is what started her on the quest to find a natural toothpaste that actually works. After not seeing an adequate toothpaste available, she took on the challenge to satisfy this gap. Bringing in her prior experience as an engineer and working alongside chemists, she created the ultimate natural toothpaste using clinically proven ingredients to strengthen teeth. We are huge fans of the yummy toothpaste with ingredients that are good for you and the environment. All products are also made from sustainable ingredients and biodegradable materials. If you want to try Dr. Jen natural toothpaste, you can save 10% with code CWPODCAST, one word at checkout, when you visit www.drjennatural.com. That's www.drjennatural.com. All information can also be found in our show notes. podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Ali experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. everyone. (laughs) Jinx. Um, Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. Um, We are so excited. We have such a good episode today with the authors of reclaiming body trust, which I think I say like a hundred times in this episode that it should be required reading for (laughs) all of us. And I'm going to say it at the top of the episode because it really should. And so much of this conversation has really stayed with me our past recording. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear it and listen and just, yeah, soak in this great episode and great wisdom that I think we all need. We all need. Yes. And um, before we get into the formal intro uh, for them and the book, um, we're going to do our just a quick weekly fun update as we usually do. And um, 
Yeah. I know, Erica, you've been kind of giving me some content recommendations this week. I know you were out for a little while because of your booster and and got to catch up on some fun content. So do you want to share any of that? Yes, absolutely. I did. I got boosted for COVID and a lot. There was a little bit of downtime with that. And I've been watching all the content. I think I shared a few intros ago, though, that like tapping into um, like feel good content, happy content. Even I think I was rewatching like Boy Meets World recently, like content I would have enjoyed when my younger years has been really like healing for me, actually like inner child healing. Um, but along that route is, um, I love a romantic comedy and just like, I love a romantic comedy and like a feel good, easy movie. And I think last week I talked about do revenge, which is a teen like dark comedy, but really good. And this week I watched, um, it's called look both ways. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Look both ways on Netflix with Lily Reinhardt as the lead. And it really surprised me. I thought it was going to be a very, um, kind of, you know, like, we know all the tropes. We know what's going to happen in a romantic or, you know, coming of age story. And it surprised me. Um, so did do revenge surprise me. So I've been surprised twice now with my content, but, um, it's kind of like a sliding doors type movie, right? Where you see it's, um, I think her last night of college or like college graduation and one, one choice or one decision, one way her life could go you get to see that. And then there's the other way her life mm. could have gone. It all starts with a pregnancy test. So in one version, she does get the positive pregnancy result and her life goes this way. And in the other, she doesn't, it's a negative pregnancy result and it goes the other oh, way. And, um, but I, I kept thinking, I was like, Oh, well, this is what's going to happen or this is where it's going to connect. And it really, it was just really good. And, um, I also think it was written by a woman do revenge was also written by a woman. And so, um, yeah, I just feel like they're well-written films, um, that are smart and empowering and I really enjoyed it. So that's my more content is my recommendations look both ways. Um, yeah. What about you, Allie? What is your thing you're enjoying this week? I don't know if our listeners know this. Maybe some of them do. But for many, many years prior to our show and prior to doing our work in the nutrition space as well, I was a professional performing artist, mostly in musical theater and traveled quite a bit. And um, I still do from time to time, although things were quiet, more quiet over COVID for the obvious reasons. So I realized I need to sort of get back into vocal shape and I've been singing a lot more and going back to coachings and started coaching again as well. And, um, it's so interesting because we always talk about the parasympathetic nervous system. And one of the ways to tap into that for all of us, in addition to breathing, um, is activating the vagus nerve and actually singing and humming. And we talk about it with our changing practice too, like all do that. But singing more, it's just like, I don't know, it brings me so much joy too. And I think I forgot that or I've been missing that for a while now. So I'm um, doing it more regularly. I'm noticing a bi- like um, like the biological response to, to doing that. It's like getting more breath and feeling just more relaxed. And my 
think it really increases my serotonin <laughs> too. Um, cause I just like really notice a change in my mood when I'm doing it more and in my body, like just feeling more relaxed in it. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my, one of my personal updates and I love I, that it's a wellness update for it sure. Is. We got to um, tap into that vagus nerve. In, yeah. In and the then we can, we do. And then I was going to say my quick, like also content, content. fun, like total relaxation. Um, <laughs> also kind of like tapping into the youth, I guess. But um, for any people who are around in the 80s and 90s, uh, the new kids on the block, one of the members, John Knight, has a new HGTV show called Farmhouse Fixer. I've gotten Erica onto it. Mm-hmm. And he's in like all of his Massachusetts glory does, um, renovations for a lot of old farm homes in the, in new England. And it's just so like silly and they do really good work actually. But, um, also something that's just like a total, you know, doesn't take a lot of brain power, but it's just like creative and enjoyable. So, um, if you need a little NKOTB slash home renovation fix. <laughs> Definitely yes. recommend that. It's really fun. I know I'm, I'm enjoying it so much too. Even not being as familiar with new kids on the block. This is where we have like this weird Ali and I are only years. a couple years apart, but it comes forth like occasionally in pop culture. Like I am obsessed with Lizzie McGuire as I start planning my Halloween costume this year. Um, I was going to do a Lizzie McGuire reference and Allie was like, I have no idea what this is, or I would not understand. I would never get it. I've never I seen would never Lizzie get McGuire. It. Yeah. So yeah. My- right. And you were like, no, I was like, Oh, I was like, new Joey McIntyre in concert. Yeah, exactly. It was for um, a couple of years. But um, anyway, so we'll, t- we'll yeah. do Halloween updates soon. I'm really excited for, I'm dressing up for the first year in so long and I'm so excited. But um, yes, we should get to today's episode because it's full of really good information and I can't, I can't wait to re-listen to it because like I said, so much of it has stayed with me and I'm so excited to do that. But before we get to the episode, we also want to remind everyone that this episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Allie, do you want to talk a little bit about Milk and Honey? Yes, of course. So um, one of our personal favorites, but also, um, you know, something that's accessible to everyone because they have a lovely online store uh, where they carry all different kinds of brands, including their own um, products, which we are big fans of. And um, you can get 20% off with CW Podcast. That's our code. And if you're in um, Southern California, if you're in LA, if you're in Chicago, if you're in Texas in general, there's quite a few locations um, for their physical spas as well. And Erica and I have been, we have even the Courageous Wellness Retreat that is offered at the spas, um, which is a 60 minute Swedish massage and complimentary dry brushing um, service as well. But again, that 20% off code CW podcast, it applies to any of the products in their online store, or if you're going in person, any of the services at their spas. So check it out and let us know what you think. Yes. Yes. Okay. So on to today's episode, have you ever felt uncomfortable or not at home in your body? 
In their new book, Reclaiming Body Trust, the founders of Body Trust, licensed therapist Hillary Canavy, and registered dietitian Data Sturtevant invite readers to break free from the status quo and reject a diet culture that has taken advantage and profited from trauma, stigma, and disembodiment, and fully reclaim and embrace their bodies. Informed by the personal body stories of the hundreds of people they have worked with, Reclaiming Body Trust delineates an intersectional social justice-oriented path to healing in three phases, the rupture, the reckoning, and the reclamation. Throughout, readers will be anchored by the author's innovative and revolutionary body trust framework to discover a pathway out of a rigid way of thinking about the body and into a more authentic, sustainable way to occupy and nurture our bodies. Today, we have a really powerful conversation with authors, Hillary Canavy, a licensed professional counselor who has supported people who are healing from disordered eating, body shame, and the impact of weight bias and other traumas, and Dana Sturdivant, a registered dietitian who helps people divest from diet culture and move toward a more compassionate, embodied form of radical self-care. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey began as a luxury day spa in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas and Los Angeles, California, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare born from the spa. Milk and Honey sources and uses the safest possible ingredients in both their spa treatments and product lines, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. I recently went to their Brentwood location to treat myself to a spa day. In addition to having a wonderful and deeply therapeutic massage, I really appreciated how peaceful and relaxing the spa environment is. The lounge that is available for guests pre and post treatments felt like a little sanctuary and retreat away from the outside hustle and bustle of LA. We are so excited to now be able to offer our listeners a discount at all milk and honey spas, including both LA locations in Culver City and Brentwood. We are even more excited to partner with them to offer a spa package called the Courageous Wellness Retreat, a 60-minute milk and honey signature massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs, focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with body brushing, an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home to stimulate your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. And for all our listeners in any location, their online boutique offers products from the Milk and Honey line and from other top brands, including Osea Malibu, Supergoop, Virtue, Moonjuice, Kula Sun Care, and more. Courageous Wellness listeners can enjoy 20% off your next order at milkandhoney.com and 20% off your first spa service at any milk and honey location with code CW podcast, visit milk and to find a location near you. And if you want to try the courageous wellness spa package at a special discounted rate, use the code courageous wellness retreat to redeem. This is not able to be combined with any other discount or promotion. And you can find all this information in our show notes. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Let's talk about CBD. The CBD market feels really saturated these days, doesn't it? 
It seems like you can get it at any coffee shop or grocery store, and many CBD brands actually source their hemp from industrial hemp farms in China. The brand that we love, and more importantly, the brand that we trust is Ned. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, and Erica and I only partner with brands that we ourselves use. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their website. Ned is also USDA certified organic with all products extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. How's that for knowing exactly where your CBD comes from? We have both been longtime users of Ned. I rely on the full spectrum hemp oil to help with anxiety and the hormone balance blend has been a game changer as I transitioned off of birth control. And today we want to talk about Ned's new product, which has been in development for over a year, the de-stress blend. I've gone through two bottles since it's come out and I could not be more obsessed with the benefits and the effects. This one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full spectrum hemp and check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Also, Ned's quality speaks for itself. The products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on this podcast. If you'd like to give Ned a try, Courageous Wellness listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code CWPODCAST. Visit helloned.com slash CWPODCAST to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash CWPODCAST to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. You can also find a link in our show notes. Thank you so much, Hillary and Dana, for joining us today. Um, Erica and I are really enjoying your book, and we're grateful that we're going to have this conversation with you. So thanks for being here. Mm, Thanks for having us. To start off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your personal backgrounds um, and how that ultimately led you to each other? Yeah. Um, I, you know, grew up in California. I grew up in a really liberal, progressive dieting family, and I didn't always totally get how all of this went together. I knew something felt kind of amiss uh, around that for me. Um, And so in my own process of trying to make sense of that and trying to um, figure out how to have a relationship with my body that didn't feel terrible all the time. Um, I came into learning a lot more about the health at every size movement before it was really the health at every size movement um, and intuitive eating. And because that kind of, that, that all kind of came in at around the same time that I became a therapist a little over 20 years ago, 
um, I really wanted this conversation to be more widely available to people. And it wasn't then it's still a little fringy now, which is wild. Um, and so I started bringing this into my practice and, um, the first people I started to work with were people who had recently had weight loss surgery. Cause it was also a time when weight loss surgery was kind of being pulled out of obscurity into something more mainstream and you could hear radio ads about it and people learned how to access it for themselves. Um, and the people that reached out to me and wanted to talk were people who had had the surgery and they had these basic questions like, why do I still hate my body? And, um, why, even though I've lost all this weight, am I not happy? And, um, why am I so resentful about people's joy over my weight loss? And, um, why am I obsessed with the food network? You know, like why, what's going on? This, none, none of this is what I expected. And so it was those early groups and conversations that I had that led me to just so much curiosity and anger and, um, and I guess activism around wanting this conversation that we have about bodies and weight loss and fatness and all of these things to deepen become very different. And it was at that time that I met Dana, who was on a very different path, but we met um, at a clinic that we both joined in Portland for a short time. So um, I, you know, as a registered dietitian, I was trained in the dominant weight paradigm. Um, if I go back as, as a, as a woman in this culture, I definitely was traumatized, um, in my body. Um, I experienced weight teasing, uh, by high school friends. Um, certainly grew up really, you know, conscious of my body, thinking about dieting, thinking about restricting my food, but never really pulling it off. And I think in part because my, I didn't live in a household where people were talking about people's bodies. My mom, while I'm sure she struggled at times to accept her body, it, you know, dieting wasn't super pervasive in her life. It wasn't pervasive in my grandmother's lives. And so Hillary sometimes calls me a unicorn when I talk about this, but thankfully uh, there was a protective effect there where um, it wasn't modeled in my home. Um, and yet I grew up with a complicated relationship like many of us, um, and, you know, chose nutrition in as a, as a focus in my graduate or in my college degrees. And, um, and then of course, as a healthcare provider thought I was promoting healthy lifestyles, you know, because most healthcare providers know that dieting doesn't work. And most healthcare providers believe they're promoting healthy lifestyles, not dieting behaviors. And so I worked in research for many years um, with a six month weight loss intervention that quote unquote worked and that people lost weight in six months at six months, but you know, where was their weight at two years? It was back up and then some, and those researchers wanted to find ways to follow people and help them maintain their weight. And I was starting to think that the intervention was a problem. And I was starting to wonder why we were focusing on people's weight when it didn't seem to be helpful. And it was probably even harmful. And I really believed we could just trust people's bodies to sort out the weight that we don't really need to focus on weight. We can help people have healthier relationships with food in their bodies and we can trust them, their bodies to sort out the weight, which means, you know, bodies are going to exist on a spectrum, not according to 
the body mass index, which was never in, intended to be used as a marker of health. And so, you know, when I'd speak up, I spoke up once or twice in meetings and people didn't seem to get it. And I knew as a dietitian, there wasn't going to be a job that had a, had a description to do the work I wanted to do, even though at the time I couldn't tell you what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to do what I was trained to do. And so I came across a few things um, that really helped me. One was that I discovered the Health at Every Size community, which is a growing community. You know, back then it was a small, really a much smaller community. Um, but it's a growing community of providers, academics, researchers, physical therapists, fitness professionals, dietitians, lay people who are concerned about what we're doing to people around their bodies and weight. And then I discovered Intuitive Eating, which um, is a book that introduced me to the idea of the di a dieting mindset or the dieting mind. And when I looked at the qualities of a dieting mindset compared to the qualities of a non-diet mindset, I was like, oh, the, guess which side the research participants were on? <laughs> we weren't calling it dieting, but they were dieting. There was this mentality of tracking food, weighing ourselves, tracking calories, thinking of day of eating or good or bad. And I was like, okay, so we were promoting dieting and calling it something else. And then the third thing that was kind of after I met Hillary was um, being at an eating disorder conference. And somebody said, we prescribe for fat bodies, the very behaviors we diagnose as eating disordered and thin ones. And that was kind of the final nail in the coffin. And I was like, all right, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And so I started my private practice in a clinic and, um, and Hillary was brought into the clinic shortly thereafter. And we, that's where we met. And we started facilitating a group called making peace with your body there. And we just started sitting in rooms with, with women, people assigned female at birth and talking about this. And that's where body trust developed was it, sitting in rooms with people talking about how, what the struggle has been like and how do we get out of this without continuing to participate and uphold really harmful ideas about bodies and health and food and weight. Um, yeah. Wow. No, thank you both so much. Um, we are so excited to have this conversation and, and there's so much we want to talk about and yeah, we loved, um, we've started reading and love your book, reclaiming body trust, a path to healing and liberation. And just those first two pages, even when you open up the book and that, um, if affirmations is fair to call them, like I got emotional reading it, like it took my breath away. And I, um, I kind of sent it to everybody. I was like, you have to buy, um, this book, you have to read this. And my first, my first introduction into reading about this, aside from just being a woman growing up in American culture, um, was I read fearing the black body, the racial origins of fat phobia by Sabrina strings. And that, opened my eyes to so much. And, um, for any of our listeners who are unfamiliar with this world, this work with healthy at every size, um, can you talk or give a little background into body trust, body liberation, and, um, kind of where this comes from as a starting point in case this is new to any of our listeners? Mm -hmm. The, I mean, what we're, what we know now 
and and what Sabrina Strings and other scholars have have helped us know is that most of the ways that we think about weight are rooted in white supremacy, not in concepts of health. And that a lot of that that we have a body hierarchy in this culture. And it was really important to um slave owners and white people at the time and focus people focused um on you know on creating an ideal race like the like the um creator of the BMI was um you know that this was about saying what bodies are valuable and what bodies aren't valuable the current fat acceptance movement and health at every size movement as we know it really had roots in the 1960s and 70s and was started by fat black women and fight and fat queer women who wanted to start to shed the light on how they were being treated and mistreated by the culture and how their value um, was not being acknowledged and how dieting prescriptions and other health so-called health prescriptions had created harm to them. Um, and so this movement's been around for a long time and has really radical roots. And in the current day um, expression of it, what we're seeing, what we've seen more recently is this wave of body, the body positivity movement, which I think has helped in some ways, but has also been very diluting in the sense that it's um, a lot, it's become very white and thin. And the voices that are truly radical in the movement, the voices that are really pushing for liberation are typically still very fringy, unfortunately. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a, just a sort of a good background for people to understand and have. I remember when I learned about the origins of BMI and I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, and certain things that are just accepted. Um, you were talking about from a cultural perspective, but also from a medical perspective perspective. Like, I think we had a conversation with an author. Um, her name is Eleanor Cleghorn and she's English. And she wrote a book called Unwell Women, um, which actually goes through the history of women's mm. medical experiences since basically ancient Greece through now. Um, wow. And you know, I, I don't, I know that women aren't the only people that experience this, but mm -hmm. when we have also like medical providers and, and systems really that haven't trusted, um, people's experiences or what they're recounting or treat, um, as you were saying, even like fatness as an individual kind of diagnosable thing in the medical system. Like there's all this stuff that we, we, that even our medical system perpetuates, um, where there's, there's oppression within that. And there's lack of trust for the patient too, over and over. And I think, especially in the history of women's health. And what I thought was really fascinating is when I started to learn a little bit more about this and I'm by no means an <laughs> expert at all, but was that a lot of like even diet or um, nutrition research over the years or fitness, actually, I think especially in fitness, a lot of it's done with men of a certain age. And so it doesn't apply to everybody. <laughs> and, um, and so we're, you know, on a mass scale marketing and applying these things through diet culture and, and that don't, 
that aren't meant for all bodies. Um, so I just, that was something that was eye-opening to me too, in the beginning of just kind of being exposed to some of this history and, um, and background in that. So I guess to start off, can you tell us a little bit as like, you're writing this book, um, some of the themes that, I mean, there's a lot you, you deal with a lot in the process of unlearning a lot of things that we've all just as, you know, product of being women in the United States and the 20th and 21st centuries. Now, um, there's a lot to go through, but if you're, if you're, or, you know, someone who's going to pick up this book or someone who's done the work with you. I know you tell a lot of stories that people who have gone through this work with you. Um, what are the things that we start with or that you start with? Well, we start the book, you know, the book has three sections, the, the rupture, the reckoning, the reclamation. And we start with the ruptures, understanding how, how we've lost trust with our body. And we lean on some liberatory frameworks, particularly Bobby Harrow's cycle of socialization and cycle of liberation, where she talks about the ways we are socialized and indoctrinated into systemic racism, uh, systemic oppression, the ways we're socialized to view bodies, and really how I think the first part of the book is to help people develop an analysis, a critical analysis of of that socialization, because by the time we get into medical school or my training as a dietitian, like I've already been socialized to believe all this stuff. So then we go into a medical training or our professional training, and it just reinforces everything we've learned. And we don't even think to question it. And the researchers asking the questions don't think to, you know, to question what they've been taught to believe. And so we have this crisis of imagination happening in healthcare. Um, and so, you know, I think a big place we start is understanding that we don't, we're not born into the world like this. Like, you know, we come into a world with these systems in place, but we are not oriented around it until we start to get those early messages really young. And that's where I think, you know, when people hear us speak, they hear truth. And they want to lose X amount of weight before they do this body trusting thing. <laughs> you know, they're often straddling and they have one foot over here in their Weight Watchers meeting. And then they're coming over here to the Center for Body Trust for their Reclaiming Body Trust group. Right. And they're straddling because that's where the reckoning is happening. It's, you know, they 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 hear the truth, but they want to believe they have control. So that's often where a lot of people start. And some would start with like, nope, 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 they're wrong. <laughs> We've had clients whose mothers think we're a cult, you know, the mothers that, yeah, it's yeah. always the moms. <laughs> well, because yeah. if we, I mean, Allie and I are in our thirties and, you know, so my mother is in her sixties and it's, you know, if my relationship with my body has been a journey, her relationship with her body wasn't even deeper journey. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I try to have compassion for the mothers because I can't imagine like, right. We're still dealing with white supremacy and the patriarchy and all of this in 2022. What were they dealing with in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, right? Like it was a lot worse. 
This episode is brought to you by NYX, a sustainable and natural mouthwash that aims to eliminate single-use plastic waste while using the highest quality natural ingredients to create a mouthwash that is both gentle on you and gentle on our planet. We are big fans of NYX, so much so that I recently brought it with me on my trip to France. NYX is gentle and effective, utilizing real ingredients with health benefits like peppermint oil and aloe vera. They have nixed the harsh chemicals, alcohol, synthetic additives, and preservatives that pollute your body and our waterways. Instead, leaving us with a natural mouthwash that really works is good for you and good for the planet. Each year, over 500 million plastic mouthwash bottles end up in landfills. That's enough to wrap around the earth three times. This is why NYX is dedicated to nixing single-use plastic through eco-friendly mouthwash crystals. The mouthwash crystals are lightweight and reduce carbon emissions from shipping. So incredible. By choosing NYX, you're keeping yourself and mother nature healthy and clean. They also donate 10% of profits to nonprofits that tackle environmental issues and help underprivileged children receive adequate dental care in the U.S. and abroad. There is so much to love about NYX as a company and a product. Fresh breath is just the top of it. And we know you're going to love it as much as we do. If you want to try NYX, you can save 25% off your first order when you visit NYXmouthwash.com. That's NIXmouthwash.com and use code CWPODCAST, one word at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. I think it's so interesting to, you know, the reclaiming of the word fat too, as well, because, um, and you mentioned, right, like some of these words and in your book might be like, whoa, because it has been, fat has been such a weaponized word for so many people, um, through bullying in school or through, you know, it's, it's a word that's used to attack and hurt people. So can you touch on a little bit of the reclaiming of that word, um, and how we can, I don't know if make peace is the right word with it. It does. I, but like reclaim, right. I know, um, to, uh, yeah, just reclaiming that word. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been part of the radical movements that, that kind of inform our work to reclaim that word. And, and the reason's really simple in that, you know, it has been weaponized against people inappropriately. Um, the O words like obese and overweight are based on the BMI. And we know the BMI is bunk. You know, the BMI should not be used to describe people's bodies. We don't have a weight in which people, once they're over that weight, are somehow different than us or separate from us. You know what I mean? Like, or unhealthy or something like that. That's, that's a really false, um, narrative. It's a really negative, it's a really, um, exclusive, like excluding way of talking about bodies. Um, and so we're reclaiming the word fat and want everyone to, because it's just like using the words short or tall, right? Fat or thin. It's, we want that to be a neutral descriptor and a non-prerogative term. We are here to support the idea of fat affirmation Um, And so not just tolerating fat bodies, not just basically including fat bodies, but really affirming and celebrating what fat bodies are um, and how beautiful they are. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. One of the moments that I um, 
really that I read in the book that I really related to in a, in a moment in my own life was, um, it was about movement and I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was that was in London and, um, had this discussion or like conversation with themselves where they heard all of a sudden, Hey, I need to move. Like you, you need to move and it's yeah, time to Vicky's body story. Yeah. Okay. It was Vicky's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And after, after not really for a while. And I think a lot of people can relate to that in the pandemic and, but hearing this sort of innate intelligence and not having it come from a place of this is what you should be doing, or this is what you have to be doing, or, you know, but it's something yeah. that's like, this is something that will serve you right now. And then going and having that swimming experience. And I had that one time really one time that I can remember, but it was pretty life-changing. And I had it with, mine came in the form of food. It came in the form of nutrition because for years I had tried to be a vegetarian and I actually wound up getting cancer. This was in my late twenties and I was going through um, healing on my back. I had back three back surgeries and I was, I remember being on my sofa and uh, in the process of healing with staples in my back and my body just screamed at me, <laughs> you need to go get a piece of steak. Like I, and I joke about it because it's like, you know, steak, it's like, you know, but I hadn't had meat in years and it was yelling. Like it was so clearly coming from my body's innate intelligence of what it needed in the healing process at that point. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it, I think for the first time mm. consciously in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, and I ate it (laughs) and I, my energy transformed and that's not a, that's not a thing to tell people to go become carnivores or anything like that. But what it was is that experience of listening and hearing that for the first time where it's not that it hadn't spoken to me before, but like where I can really remember a pivotal moment where what I thought I should be doing versus what I really needed to do for myself were two different things and to trust and listen to the body trust. And it was pretty transformative. Um, and so that story that you shared, I really resonated with me. And I think so much of this is like, we talk about, I think disconnect we have so much in our world that disconnects us from trusting our bodies. And um, Dana, you were saying we, yeah, we're born into this world, but we're not, we're born into the systems that already exist, but that's not innately who we are. Um, And I'd love for one of you to talk a little bit about how we as human beings can start to trust the innate knowing um, when we've been conditioned not to trust it and we've been taught not to trust it. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. there any, are there any places where you would say, you know, where people could start with that? Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing is to know that when you've lost trust in, in a relationship with, in your life, right? So we, this is relationship work. You have a relationship with food. You have a relationship with your body. And, and just like if you lost trust in a relationship with your partner, you're not just going to go, okay, I'll trust you now, right? That's not how we rebuild trust. We rebuild trust through small, consistent acts over time. 
So if people are listening, of course, you don't trust your body. (laughs) Why would you trust your body given the culture and all that you've been through? And oftentimes when people have been trying to pull off these really rigid and restrictive eating plans, they can't pull it off because they're not sustainable. And that's actually a sign of health. Like you are biologically wired to eat and eventually you are going to cave. And that's a sign of health that you're trying to get your body's trying to get what you need. Um, Many people, you know, call the binging in the evening or the out of control eating in the evening is the problem. But the problem is often that they're not getting enough to eat throughout the day, but they feel like they're so ravenous that they can't trust themselves. So they try to rein it in the day and then they they, you know, quote unquote, blow it at night. So we 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 rebuild trust through these small, consistent acts over time. And when you've been, you know, restricted and restrained, just like when you're held under water for periods of time, when you pop up (laughs) to get air, you know, people think the minute they start, you know, letting the rules go and and they're just supposed to like sip water. Like, like if you came up (laughs) for air from being under held underwater, you would be gasping for air. And when you release the reins on your eating, your eating is going to feel um, like that. Like (gasps) you're going to want to want everything because you, you haven't been allowed to have it. And if you stick through that process of listening, asking yourself, what do you really want? Noticing, do you like it? Does it taste good? Does it taste as good as you thought it would be? And practicing this over time helps people start to understand their hunger cues, what, what satisfies them, what they like and what they don't like. And it's not about making the right decision or the perfect, you know, the thing that's going to hit the spot every single time you eat, but it's, it's about building up those experiences over time that lead you to trust yourself. Yeah, no, that's, it's, yeah, this is such important work. And, and this is, you know, Allie and I are health coaches, and this is a lot of what we work with people on as well. And we're very aligned. I, um, I ha I want to go back quickly to like the mothers and I'm going to use that as like, you know, the, the older generations and the family members doesn't necessarily just have to be our mothers, but, um, you know, I have had very interesting conversations in my family where the O word was very prevalent. My whole childhood, my whole family, not my whole family, a lot of members of my family have struggled with the O word and, um, different like lifelong issues with that and trying every single program you can. And I, I have a journey and a story that I'm going to ask about in a second, but it's interesting as I've done this work and I've tried to explain to certain family members that health and weight are not tied together, right? Like there can be very thin people who are very sick, but we don't look at them and struggling with type two diabetes and struggling with all of these things that are, um, thought to be, you know, diseases of larger people, thin people struggle with them all the time. We just don't look at them and think unhealthy. And it's so interesting because with certain family members, it doesn't matter how many articles I send them or show them or talk to them about, they have such a hard time accepting that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it is, um, because they have such a hard time accepting themselves or what, you know, I don't know what the tie is, but I do hear so much in mainstream diet culture and society, right? Like health and 
fatness are tied together, right? Or lack of fatness. Um, so maybe we can touch on that for anyone listening who is thinking, well, yeah, but larger bodies are more unhealthy than, than our bodies or whatever that narrative may be. Mm-hmm. I think because that narrative has been so driven home and has been so successful as a marketing approach to sell prescriptions and diets, um, that it feels like people, I think people feel self-injurious when they're giving up diets and that is a dissociative thought, you know what I mean? Because it takes us so far away from the harm that's happened through dieting and the fact that dieting has maybe has contributed to weight gain. The fact that like, um, dieting has contributed disordered eating and that folks have been doing this for years and years and years, like a lifetime of devotion, all to avoid claiming fatness. Yeah. Overwhelming to think about, you know, um, I have a lot of heart around that. And I also have a lot of anger and frustration when I think about that, because we have basically obscured the conversation about the harms of dieting and and disordered eating so that we don't have to face the fact that many of us are walking around in weight suppressed bodies or um, bodies that are not going to get any smaller in our lifetimes. As Erica mentioned, we work with people um, and we don't market weight loss as a part of it. We never have either. And um, oftentimes people come with that goal. Yep. And part of, you know, we, we've evolved in all of this, but part of what we do at least, because we don't want to, we want to meet people where they are and we don't want to have innate judgment if that's something that they feel is important to them. However, one thing that we do explore if that is something that people bring to us is why is just why. And oftentimes there's people haven't thought about the why. So it, it breaks down a lot. Um, and I also had an experience recently that I'm going to tie to something that you talk about in your book with, um, a client who came to terms with their own grief about how much time, Mm -hmm. energy, like psychic energy, right? Like the amount of thought and time, which felt wasted from their life because of the amount of attention they put on it. And they don't want to like incredibly smart um, and aware about all of this stuff. And yet so much grief over the fact that so much energy over time had been spent thinking about body and thinking about weight and food and feeling like they had been really cheated and couldn't get this time back. And then we moved into a conversation about, but how empowering that this is something that you're starting to like clue into for yourself now because of all the time you're going to get. Um, but then there's also grief that goes along with the people that we love who mm-hmm. still have the pain and the obsession around it. Yeah. And so can you just speak to a little bit about 
like the grief that comes along with this process. And then I want to go into pleasure, but let's start with the grief. Yeah. I mean, the grief is a huge part of this process. And when I think, um, I think it's often left out, you know, that this, that this movement towards body trust is a healing process that takes time. And one of the places we spend a lot of time is grieving and we grieve a lot of what you mentioned, you know, we grieve the time lost, we grieve the ways we've treated ourselves, we grieve the way um, the world treats us and people in our lives treat us knowing that that might not change. Um, and that um, we we grieve that we're going to experience weight stigma. We grieve that we have had an illusion of control that's never been true over the size and shape of our bodies. Um, and it's really real. And I, we carry that grief alongside everything else we do in a body, in a process to regain body trust. Like we stay in that it's devastating when you, when you get these, this new lens on to see what's happening in the world and to see what we put upon people around their bodies and what they're prescribed or what people are kept from in medical offices, because, you know, um, trans folks, for instance, are kept from life affirming surgeries because they, you know, have, are told to lose weight first. And we know that these weight loss efforts are very damaging to health um, and nutrition status and all these things. So there's, there's a tremendous amount to grieve and we can't skip that step. Like our bodies know the grief has to happen. And that is part of the same body trust we're aiming for is to allow ourselves to feel what we feel about happens because it has been a loss and it has been taken from you. Your relationship with your body has not been your fault. Your coping has been rooted in wisdom, which is a lot of what we talk about in the book. And it still hurts so much to know those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, this is the, the middle part of the book is about the reckoning and all the things we come to terms with. And many people want to, you know, understand the rupture and then get to the reclamation <laughs> and they want to skip that middle part. And when we're reckoning, people wander and then they return and then they forget and they go on another diet and then they remember that they can't do it and they come back to this work and then they wander and then, you know, New Year's rolls around and it's the magical behave time of change time of year. And they're like, I got a freezer full of Jenny Craig food and I, I don't even want any of this. And why didn't I know that before I spent this money on this food? This isn't me anymore. And then they return to the work. And that is the reckoning is wandering and returning, wandering and returning and uh, Sharon, Sharon Salzberg says, you know, the healing is in the return. This is something she talks about in her around meditation practice. And when I learned that, I was like, oh my gosh, like the healing is in the return. We wander and we return, we remember and we forget. It, it reminds me, Ali and I, we met through our Buddhist practice. We both practice Buddhism and it's like enlightenment isn't a destination, right? We like reach this moment of enlightenment and then we live in the human world and then we come back and then we, you know, it's a daily process. But, um, you know, I do have a question and I'm going to share a little bit of my own story because I've always been curious about it when it comes to kind of my story and being a part of what I believe, right. Which is this community and healthy at every size. Um, so 
I do have a weight loss story as a part of my journey. So I grew up and most of our listeners know this. I grew up for from 11 to 15, we were food insecure and I was kind of living off of my mom was surviving off of dollar menu McDonald's to feed me and my brother. Mm -hmm. And I always carried extra weight. That was just part of my journey. And, um, I actually had so much confidence in high school. So, you know, even though I was teased and even though, um, my weight was never like a focus of mine. I never dieted. I never did anything like that until I was in my early twenties. And I started, I went through the cycle of blaming my body for what wasn't working in my life. But I had this experience of, um, realizing that that wasn't true. Actually through my Buddhist practice, I had a really um, incredible woman. I was crying to her about my body and how if my body was different, my life would be different. And this woman 10 years ago in 2012, right before I was aware of any of this stuff, she just called me out and was like, this has nothing to do with your body. Like you don't treasure yourself. You don't value yourself. Like you need to like start digging deep. And so that's what I did. So I had no language around any of this. I just determined that I was going to like fully love myself in this body that was, you know, 50 pounds larger. And, um, yeah, and I did. And I started moving. I met everything in my life changed from that point, met the man who has my husband in my largest body, um, got my dream jobs in my largest body. Everything was great in my largest body. I started moving my body for the first time I'd been, I'd never really done any sort of movement. I think I did movement three days a week. I didn't change the way I ate at all. And I lost, I lost weight. That's what ended up happening. And, um, you mentioned in the book too, right. That every body has kind of a place of, um, like a, like a place it wants to land, right? Like your body's comfort. And, um, since the pandemic, I have since gained a little bit of weight. And I think this really is where my body wants to land. Right. But it did include a weight loss from my largest weight. So I'm just always curious. Right. And, and again, we don't, I, I don't focus on weight loss with who I work with. People come to us and and I believe that's what I fundamentally believe that your body has a place it wants to land. And we just, you know, if you eat in a way that's trusting of your body and nourishing of your body, and you're doing all of that, your body's going to kind of land there. And that's my story, but it does include weight loss and it's so loaded and and, and a lot came after that, which was the reckoning of like body dysmorphia and people started treating me differently. And when I say it was accidental, I didn't realize I had lost the weight until I had to do an activity that required a black jacket that I hadn't worn in eight months. And I was like, oh my gosh, you just lost weight. Like that was, that was how accidental this was, but this can be so loaded for people. And that's why it's hard to talk about for me sometimes now, especially with my understanding of this work. So I kind of just wanted to share that. And for anyone listening who maybe has a weight loss journey, I don't know, how do you land in this space still? If that's a question. (laughs) I mean, I, in the, in the later part of the book, one of the things we say really outright and this may be where people throw the book down (laughs) and then come back to it eventually is we don't know what will happen with your weight and nobody else does either and that's the truth 
And anyone who tells you they know how to get your body to change or um, what size your body is supposed to be is lying. They're, they're in, um, what's the word? Misinformed. They're misinformed. Um, we just know that one of three things will happen that you will, your body will stay the same. You may lose weight, you may gain weight. And that's all we know. And I think the caution is that, you know, there's many people out there, many coaches out there that would have your experience and then say, I know how to fix this. And if you just love yourself, I mean, that's kind of what Janine Roth, you know, she says, you know, the weight will fall away if you just love yourself. And that's just simply not true. Like some people are going to remain fat. Some people will gain weight. Right. But bodies change. The, The one thing we know is true is that bodies change. We get yeah. sick, we get better, we age, we have abilities, we have disabilities. The one thing we know is true is that bodies change. And sometimes they change in the way society deems as desirable, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, but I think that, again, the, 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 the place that I think a lot of providers with a story like yours go is like, I know how to fix this, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that's like such an interesting, it's so like, thank you for sharing that because I think that so, and, and people don't like, you know, when Allie and I have been in conversation or talk to people, I've, I say quite often on podcasts, you know, or I I've shared if I firmly believe, you know, it's like, if you have weight to gain, you're going to gain weight. And if you have, you know, weight to like, it's, it's that ebb and flow that you're talking about. And even myself, um, this happened when I was in my twenties and now I'm in my thirties in a post pandemic world. And as I've mentioned, I've gained weight, you know, and I accept that. So I think the way it's not even accept that it's just, it's my body. It's where my body wants to land. And I think for me coming back to with my story is just learning your body knows kind of where it wants to land. And can we trust that? And then dealing with the societal response to that, right? Because that's for me has been a lot of the unpacking is other people's responses to your weight gain or weight loss. When, as you mentioned, we're going to gain weight, lose weight. Our bodies are going to change if we're so lucky to age and grow, which is such a privilege. Um, yeah, but it's always interesting. I just thank you for answering that because it's weight is so loaded and I believe in all of this so much. And I just, I was always curious, like how to approach that in these conversations and with clients, because, People know I have this journey and we'll talk about it. And it's like, and right. Like you said, this is so not one size fits all. Yeah. And you can love yourself and that might equal weight gain a lot of the time. So yeah, for a lot of people, it will, because a lot of people have been suppressing their weight through dieting and disordered eating, eating disorders. And a big part of this journey and process is allowing your body, allowing yourself to eat and gain weight. This episode is sponsored by Sprout Living. We are very excited to share all about our favorite new plant-based protein powders by Sprout Living. Sprout Living is delicious, and we really appreciate the nourishing quality ingredients. Sprout Living protein powders are all USDA organic, vegan, grain-free, soy-free, gluten-free, nut-free, kosher, and non-GMO with a pumpkin seed, yellow pea, and sunflower seed protein blend that offers up to 26 grams of plant-based protein and superfoods 
herbs and spices. They offer sample packs so you can try all their delicious flavors, including original chocolate maca, vanilla lucuma, and green kingdom. What makes sprout living different from most plant-based powders is that they avoid the unnecessary additives that many others on the market use. That means they don't use any gums, thickeners, or natural flavoring, which isn't really natural at all. Instead, they only use real whole superfoods and adaptogens, which is cool because it makes the blends multifunctional. I love to use the chocolate maca blend with cashew butter, chia seeds, flax milk, frozen blueberries, and spinach to make a decadent smoothie that tastes just like a chocolate shake. If you want to try Sprout Living, you can save 20% off your order by using code CWPODCAST. Visit www.sproutliving.com and use code CWPODCAST, one word, to save 20% off. They also offer free shipping and a 100% money-back guarantee. Give them a try and let us know if you love it as much as we do. You can also find direct links in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by BASE. Ever wanted to figure out why you are feeling sluggish or bloated or what's really up with your stress levels or why you never feel truly rested? With BASE at-home blood work kits, a simple finger prick or saliva sample makes it easy to find out the answers to common health concerns. Whether you know which tests you want to get started with or you need some guidance, BASE's proprietary assessment quiz makes it easy to begin your health journey empowered with an understanding of your own body. Members can measure, understand, and improve their health levels related to the five most common areas of health concerns, diet, stress, energy, sleep, and sex drive. The result of your hormone, vitamin, or nutrient tests are delivered to you through BASE's app and come with personalized recommendations, including lifestyle changes, supplement suggestions, and more. We both had the opportunity to try base and we love having the information at our fingertips and really recommend it as a resource. You know, we are huge proponents of advocating for your own health and base gives you a baseline information about yourself just to make it easier. Pricing starts at $59.95 per month or quarterly, or you can start with base complete, which are eight tests up front for $450. We are happy to be able to offer our listeners 20% off with the code CWPODCAST. To get started, take the base quiz, which will give you a recommendation for a personalized testing plan. Visit get-base.com slash CWPODCAST to receive 20% off with code CWPODCAST at checkout. You can also find the direct link to the quiz in our show notes. Can I touch on this? And this could probably be, I'm almost like, do I bring this question up? Because I could, we could probably talk about this for another hour, <laughs> a different podcast episode, but something I'm, you know, as Erica and I've for ourselves kind of become more exposed to this work and like resonated more and more with it. I also sometimes, it's not a hard time reconciling, but how do we, cause you talk a lot about oppression and different aspects of it in the context of body and in our society. And we recently did an episode, it's not out yet, but with um, a woman who does a lot of work in nutrition and dietetics, but in government 
like for government policy, um, but specifically with dealing with food oppression, food apartheid, lack of nutritious, like real foods available in certain areas. Um, essentially the way she was talking about, like also food freedom, not in the way that like white women and diet culture talk about it, but like truly like children in classrooms, not having access to even like any, any form of nutrient dense foods of any kind. And so, um, and we know that there's this aspect of like big food and food that's chemically, you know, manufactured to hit bliss points in the brain that like only people only have access, communities only have access to only high processed foods versus an array of choice where choice actually comes into it. And so, and I think that's like a really important thing to, to work against and to fight against because we have a surplus of food in our worlds yet food apartheid exists in our countries and in our own backyards and our cities. And so how do we do this work and also call out food, quote unquote, I'm using quotes as a, a form of like weaponization against an, an oppression um, or lack of food as oppression too. Like do those things, can, can both of these things coexist? Can, cause I know there's like, we don't want to moralize or demoralize good food, bad food, things like that, which I'm very clear about. And there are groups of people that don't have access to nutrient dense real food. And so how, maybe I'm not being that articulate. I don't know where the question is, but like, how do we work with both of these things too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the word you're trying to find is sovereignty. Mm -hmm. I think when you were talking about freedom, I think I was thinking about the word sovereignty, food and body sovereignty. Some people might call it food justice. Yeah. I like to talk about sovereignty where people have access to a variety of foods and they get to make the choices that are right for them and their families. And that is not the way this is set up for marginalized communities and communities of color, particularly like when the grocery store in um, was it Michigan or Ohio, Michigan, the, the, there was that shooting in the black grocery store and, you know, people in that community had to drive an hour to get food because that store was shut down for, um, for weeks. Um, I think where I go with this is, um, you know, this is part of systemic oppression and it's simply focusing on the fact that people are eating um, highly palatable foods or whatever people want to call them is just misguided. Like that should not be the concern. The concern should be around access and improving access to food and not food policing or just judging what's in these communities. Um, I think that's where the conversation kind of gets off for me around healthy eating to Mm -hmm. me, but the bottom line is fed is best. Yeah. And like, you know, Erica was talking about your life and food insecurity. We know when there's food insecurity, there's a much increased, much more increased likelihood of eating disorders, disordered eating. Yeah. And fed, you know, so getting enough to eat is, is the priority. Completely. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I've been, yeah. I think that, that that's a, brings a good point as far as like how you can, it's not, it's not like one or the other. It's, it's kind of like both and, and absolutely fed as best, even in, in the way that we talk about breastfeeding, right. Or feeding infancy, right. Fed as best. We know that. And I think there's like a food justice component that I personally just get really pissed off about because when people just don't have access to nutrient dense food, then there's no choices to make. It's not an individualized but, choice. Yeah. And I think you bring up such a good point too. And, and Ali and I talk, we actually have a whole episode coming about, about language in the wellness space, because, um, I can't tell you. And I think I've shared this before. I've been to panels like wellness panels where, um, this, this one woman was like, how could anyone feed their children fast food? And I was sitting there like, yeah, my, that I I, I like raised my hand and I was like, excuse me. Um, you know, that is best. You know, I'm so grateful that my mom did the drive-through every single day because $5 fed her family. And, um, yeah, it's just, Ali and I get very passionate about this as you can tell, but I just thank you. And thank you guys for everything you've shared throughout this conversation too. I mean, it's so important. It's so important to unpack and, and continue to unpack, right? Like you said, it's a lifelong journey. It's not a destination that we're going to hit and feel like, Oh, poof, we're cured. Cause we live in this culture and this, you know, earth school of human bodies and human existence of, yeah, we got to, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for um, enlightening us and our listeners today. And we really hope everyone um, picks up your book. I feel like, like I said, I think it needs to be required reading. And um, before we start our wrap up questions, is there, um, I'm curious if there was um, in your own journeys of reclaiming body trust, as you mentioned, it's not, it's not a destination, right? But I'm curious as to, as experts in this field, kind of where you're at today or how you've worked through your own body trust? Um, you know, I'm in kind of later perimenopause and I, and, you know, I think, um, there was the body trust I reclaimed in my twenties and thirties. And then there's this, and that's, it's just so different, you know, it's just such a different, um, time that I am truly, and I, I truly feel like I have an opportunity to explore body trust in a new way again. Um, because what my body apparently needs and wants from me is very, very different than what I would have settled on or with in my twenties and thirties. And like my relationship to rest and my relationship to like, food and what sounds good and like all of that and my boundaries and all of this are just evolving so rapidly it's almost hard to keep up with and um so and I can only imagine how that keeps going so I'm humbled again in my relationship with body trust and reminded of how much my body is of this ever-changing earth too and that there isn't really any separation between those two things and um the same way i spend time witnessing the animals around my home you know i am trying to bring that same witnessing energy to my own body yeah i i um 
I'm officially in menopause now. I wrote a book during the pandemic and perimenopause. I think it's a miracle that <laughs> <laughs> <It is. laughs> I'm still alive, that, that we did it, that it got done. Um, you know, and my body's changed as a result of going through perimenopause. My body's changed as a result of the pandemic. Um, I deal with chronic pain, um, which I'm really kind of reckoning with right now. Um, and, you know, it's not that either one of us are immune to having bad days. That's something we talk about in the book is somebody who's reclaimed body trust has the analysis and tools to not let these bad days become bad weeks and another plan and uh, getting really sucked in and, and, and tanked by it. There's a buoyancy when we, when we do this work where we may have a mo you know, a moment or an hour or a day that where it's, it's like, Ooh, and, and we know like, tomorrow's another day. Like I'm, I didn't feel like this yesterday and I'm feeling like this today and my body hasn't changed in 12 hours. So what the hell is going on? And that to me is, you know, what, what helps me is, is the analysis on that. This isn't about my body that I may feel a certain way today. Um, but, um, it's really at the end of the day, not about my body. It's about what society has uh, prescribed for my body. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So as we wrap up, we ask three questions, three wrap up questions. So the first one is in doing this work, um, what do you have any daily sort of self-care practices or rituals that, um, that support you in your day to day? Um, yes, I find that being in connection with people I love and expressing love is um, a big part of my well-being right now and staying deeply connected to that. Um, cuddling with my golden retriever is a big part of that for me too. Um, also the humans around me, but the golden retrievers have a way of doing unconditional love in such an uncomplicated way, which is so nice. Um, so those are, so, and then um eating to like appetite and hunger is a big part of my life. You know, like I don't, I center food in my life over and over again all day. Um, and you know, that relationship really does has been the center point of body trust work for me since I was 21, even though it is evolving. Um, so those are probably like the ones I can rely upon and do regularly. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's mostly being getting outside every day, um, whether it's just sitting on my porch with my cup of coffee in the morning, which has become a ritual lately. Um, I love being near or in water. So the Japanese Portland Japanese Garden has saved me in the pandemic and writing this book. It's um, in the midst of big tall trees and there's water you can hear water running throughout the the garden and so I love to be on a trail in the middle of trees or and I did um splurge my my pandemic um purchase was a hot tub mm -hmm. and my body loves water I'm just like a different person when I'm in or near water so water 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 I love that <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that so much. I'm similar. I need to be, I need to be around water, um, or in water. <laughs> um, the next question we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you? Um, for me, being courageous means staying close to what I believe about being alive. You know, that, that this is not something that I get to have control over, um, this existence and that it's going to be hard in some way every day. And that I, uh, can trust myself to befriend myself through that, um, I think that's what courageousness is looking like. I would also say like just parenting kids right now through a pandemic and this changing, rapidly changing world feels very courageous um, in a way that I'm com- that's completely outside of my control. So, yeah. Mm. Being courageous to me as I like sit here on my throat chakra <laughs> is um, using my voice. I mean, to put this book into the world is a big deal for me. I think I had an aversion to writing because it was like putting my voice out in the world in a way. And part of our disembodiment is losing access to our agency and our voice. So to me, it's, you know, just speaking my truth is, is being courageous. Um, seeing conflict is generative is courageous and something that I'm continue to work on um, and taking risks. Yeah. Thank you. And then the final question is in addition to your own book, do you have a book recommendation on anything, just something that's meant something to you along your journeys? Mm. So hard to choose one. I mean, this I think is like, the hardest. Sorry, I know it's everybody. Everybody's like, wow. just one. I'm like, when I was born, I could just. <laughs> um, I I think the first one coming to mind for me right now is Sonia Renee Taylor's book, "The Body Is Not an Apology." I think "Emergent Strategy" by Adrian Murray Brown is really important to me, as is "Pleasure Activism," and just her whole Instagram meme presence is life changing. So. I choose those right now. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, I would act like also say any, all things, Adrian Marie Brown. Um, one of the books that blew me away is by um, Adrian, one of Adrian's coll- colleagues called Undrowned by Alexis Pauline Gums. Yeah. I think it's Lessons on Liberation from marine mammals or something like that beautiful yeah it's a beautifully written book and being like a water person and an ocean person like to read this book I was just like wow the way her brain put this together and has all this metaphor and oh it's so beautiful so I'd say that one I and I love marine animals like marine mammals like I can't I went through a whole thing where I was sending Allie like videos. so I'm like I'm gonna like I'm like liberation I, the, I'm 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 in I'm so I'm literally gonna go buy it <laughs> you today. had her at marine I was like <laughs> what <laughs> um oh my gosh no 
I found all these like rescues throughout the pandemic and I would watch their videos about, oh my God. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, thank you guys so much. If anyone wants to find you, work with you, buy your book, follow you, where can they do all of the things? You can find us at centerforbodytrust.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook as Center for Body Trust, Twitter as Body Trust Center. Thank you so much again for your time today. Mm, Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.